submitted for your consideration. Man has always challenged nature, thinking that they contain the elements. But what happens when nature changes the rules and fights back? You and I in a little toy shop Buy a bag of balloons with the money we've got Set them free at the break of dawn To one by one they were gone Back at base, box in the software Flash the message, something's out there Floating in the summer sky 99 red balloons go by Your co-hosts, Keith Chapman, John Wilson, Vicky Ray.
Hello, welcome to the License Podcast. This is our two-for-one nature versus man episode where we'll be covering two films about the nuclear apocalypse, starting with The Day After from 1983 and the Oscar-nominated film Testament from 1983. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us today. Of course, we have Joe Redazzo with us. Hello, Joe. Hey, Keith. Hey, everybody. How are you? Hey. Good. Doing good. And we have John Wilson with us. Hello, John. Howdy, folks. Hello. Hope you all are doing well. And Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hi, everybody. And I'm Keith Shago. And before we get started, let's find out what we've all been up to. Starting with you, John. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Um, I am enjoying finally warm weather. New York has I been heard. like a roller coaster of cold, hot, cold, hot. Now it's like finally shorts are coming out, flip flops are coming out. Um, uh, I also finished uh, Resident Evil 7 and 8, so I loved both of them. They were fantastic, fun, jump scare games. Um, from watching, I also watched um, the, what is it called? Lovecraft um, Nation? County? County. Lovecraft County. Loved it. Thought it was great. Thought it was a fun fun ride. Um, didn't like the guy, the main protagonist, but... Other than that, it's like a very fun ride of a, of a series. Um, highly recommend it. And what about yourself, Joe? What have you been up to? Um, well, I mean, by the time uh, this uh, comes out, it'll probably be known. I uh, Two of my films were just uh, picked up uh, by Troma for their streaming service. Uh, one of them, uh, I mean, it, it came about because one of them features uh, Robert Zadar, the star of the Maniac Cop series. All right. And nice. so, yeah, they're going to, I'm assuming they're going to tie it into their Maniac Cop release now that they bought the rights to the first one. And um, it's actually funny because it's, I mean, it's a little late now. It would have been great a couple of years ago. It's about uh, Joe Estevez and Robert Zadar as B-movie celebrities just shooting their mouths off, playing themselves as B-movie celebrities, just shooting their mouths off about politics and managing to do really well. <laughs> and uh, a, little, a little line that we wrote in 2012 that, that closes out the movie ended up being very, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, ended, ended up basically predicting the future. Um, and the other one is uh, another film Dave Camfield and I made together called Caesar and Otto Meet Dracula's Lawyer where uh, we basically just did an Abbott and Costello parody as like a courtroom thing. Uh, Caesar and Otto are on trial for the murder of Stephen Dracula, Dracula's less famous brother, played by Ed Dennehy, <laughs> the less famous brother of Brian Dennehy. And we show a photo of Dracula, who is Brian Dennehy. So it's, it's a, oh, my God. A, really? That's yeah, funny. It's kind of, it, it, I mean, we did the whole thing on green screen and uh, yeah, Lloyd is the, uh, Lloyd is the judge presiding over the case. So it kind I of fits. That. Oh my God. I love it. That I it's a video you sent us in a messenger. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, we had, we had fun doing it. I mean, it was basically just uh, Dave wanted to experiment with green screen and we were like, all right, well, what the hell? Let's, let's write something. Let's write a fun little goofy parody for green, uh, that, that we can shoot in front of a green screen. And uh, yeah, it's going to be on trauma now. I don't know the dates yet. Uh, I just signed the contracts and sent them over two days ago, and I was just in touch with everybody this morning. So it should be coming soon. I don't know when. And actually, uh, John mentioned uh, Lovecraft Nation. The last when we covered um, uh, the color out of uh, space, color of space, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you and I talked about how uh, in H.P. Lovecraft's um, uh, short stories, the way he describes the monsters are basically it's too, uh, it's it's. Uh, 
it's too uh, too terrible to even mention here. And uh, yeah. Jeffrey Combs was interviewed by Joe Bob Briggs a couple weeks ago, and when uh, he was talking about HP Lovecraft in his show Reanimator, yeah. uh, he basically said the same thing we did. He's like, "Yeah, if you ever actually read it, it's hard to film Lovecraft because every every monster is it's too terrible for me to be yeah, able to too, describe you can't here. See like, it? Yeah, that's exactly what we said here. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly, kind of funny. And what about yourself, Vix? What are you up to? Well, it is summertime finally. Had a lot of plans, but it's been raining for like a week and a half. We've been underwater. Dallas was underwater last weekend. It's like jeepers. You got your pontoon boats. Oh my God. I'm telling you, I'm ready to, to build one. Christ. But um, uh, uh, just keeping up with Asher's, you know, little things going on. Uh, BMX it's kind of in full swing this year, finally, after so long hard year or 14 months or whatever hell we all went through um we're just getting into our summer groove that's all and i've been watching trying to find as many crazy horror flicks to watch i'm kind of running out of my list i had to say joe's list i gotta go back in there and find your list joe (laughs) i I mean i've been watching joe bob though and i'm waiting for this friday to see what the the two movies are i guess everybody suspects one so we'll see if that's the one you can suspect two. <clears throat> two? Okay. Yeah, okay. you can suspect that's both. Are, both that's, are what I, that's what I figured. Okay, cool. <laughs> That works for me. That works for me. But other than that, um, just doing our podcast thing, doing that grandma thing, and getting ready to try to go a few places and visit here and there. So not a lot. What about you, Keith? Um, well, um, getting our website up to scratch, getting things ready for season five, getting things signed off, getting our contract signed with the radio stations for another season, which they've all come on board. So that's good. Um, and then doing some contractual work for Rockstar Games, which I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, that's That's it really. And doing some, um, I mean, well, I mean. I won't see the fruits of that labor for another six to seven years, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the new trailer for Back for Blood, by the way, which I was like, that was, oh, that's that really pretty, good. Pretty badass. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's um so far it's sold one million copies pre-sales. So that's wow. Good. That's so awesome. it looks like it's gonna good be a winner. Kickstart. Um, well, it's going to be, um, what's quite interesting, it's um it's on every single platform going. So it's even it's even on even Valve's doing it on the stream service as well. Wow, so. wow! I mean, it's also important, especially because it is a co-op game that you need a large network already willing to invest because that's how it's going to succeed. When you if you don't have enough people buying into it off the out of the gate, you know, so the moment it launches, you'll have a million people plus playing this game. So, yeah, I mean, it was quite interesting that um, the re- it was supposed to come out in June, but they moved it back to October because they realized they're going to need bigger servers. So that's yeah. the reason why. Are they actually, is it cross-platform playing or no? Do you know? Um, they are looking, that is something that they are looking at at the moment from what, I, what, what I've been told. But I mean, whether that's in fruition by the time it's released, it might be a different thing. I mean, it, I mean it, we're talking about Nintendo, PlayStation, um, Xbox, and Stream, and that's not including the uh, um, computer services as well. Oh, wow. Nice. So it's going to be on, it's going to be a computer game. I mean, on, on people's computers as well. And uh, Microsoft or Oxy going to be able, so you can actually play it on your laptop or play it through your Xbox. So it's going, it's doing that as well. It's going to be one of the first games to do that. That's very so. cool. Nice. 
So hopefully that's going well. And then um, outside of that, um, started watching season two of Special, which is on Netflix at the moment, which I'm really enjoying. Um, oh, I finally finished The Colony, and that was, I binge watched that in a week because of you. And then I got to the. Are they going to do a fourth season? Um, no. Oh my I god, they that. did not leave it like that. So, well, I mean, now that's on Netflix and it's I'm actually doing extremely well, um, hitting in the top ten um, shows across all the international countries and stuff like that. That um, chances are they might bring it back. You never know. Oh my so. god, that was so you know, well. You also never know someone who will buy it from them to go somewhere else. Like um, the the series, um, the slasher series, is actually right. going from Netflix to Shutter. And the fourth season is supposed to, it was supposed to come out this year, but because of COVID, it got pushed to next year, but they did a release like a, of what the season's going to be about. And I was like excited. Cause I thought, Oh God, Net- Netflix is cancel happy. They will cancel a they show. Are. They don't give a flip <laughs> whether or not you like it or not. It's like cancel. So they hopefully can. someone will pick it up. You know, I wish they just do at least a two hour thing so I can have some closure. <laughs> God. Well, um, they did that. They had done that on occasion. They did that with Dead Like Me. They gave that closure. Um, yeah. Showtime yeah. canceled that. The Brian Fuller program. Since 8, they um, did that because Since 8, they pulled the plug and fans were like furious. They were like, you need to give us closure. You can't do this to us. And they did a two hour like movie for that and yeah. then closed right. it. So. Wonderful as well. Another Brian Fuller programs tend to get. Um, cancel and they have to always go back and give them a closure <laughs> yeah. like there's a lot of that I, I think that actually happened with Hannibal too right because they yeah. they canceled it and then the fans were like you have to do it like one more season just to wrap this up this is ridiculous like they needed like a closure for that so yeah so but besides that um yeah just working nine to five like a dollar carton song so that's probably it really <laughs> so <laughs> And that brings us to the apocalyptic world that we're about to enter. And their first film <laughs> is The Day After, which is an American television film that first aired on November 20th, 1983 on the ABC television network. More than 100 million people in nearly 39 million households watched the program, program during its initial broadcast, with a 46 rating and a 62% share of the viewing audience during its initial broadcast. It was the seventh highest rated non-sports show up to that time and set a record as the highest rated television film in history, a record that was still held as recently as 2009. The film postulates a fictional war between NATO forces and the Warsaw Pact countries that rapidly escalates into a full-scale nuclear exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. The action itself focuses on the residents of Lawrence, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, and of several family farms near nuclear missile silos. The cast would include Joe Beth Williams, Steve Gutenberg, John Cullum, Jason Robards, and John Lithgow. The film was written by Edward Humes, produced by Robert Penzian, and directed by Nicholas Meyer. It was released on DVD on May 18, 2004 by MGM. It's uniquely for a Western film made during this Cold War. It was broadcast on Soviet Union State TV in 1987. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer and be right back to discuss The Day After from 1983. Five nine. Union Yeshing. First tower, voice six one. Eight intelligence sources report a massive buildup. Five nine. Take off on lane five. 
Back to the Literary License Podcast. We're discussing the day after from 1983. And starting with you, John, what are your thoughts of the day after? I have to say, this film, like, I'm, I'm still gonna, it's shocking that ABC produced this, but I get it because it was kind of like that time. Um, when I, this is the first time me seeing this, but when I first saw like this sort of lead up to it, Missouri is where my grandparents, uh, my dad's parents, grew up in in Joplin or near Joplin Oliver so that whole life country life and stuff I was like it's it was reminiscent of like my childhood going up and watching these the families and all this and it very quickly escalates and it's one of those where you go I you know where it's going just because I watch a trailer going oh this is oh well this is horrible (laughs) like this is not gonna be a good ending whatsoever it's like it's actually one of those where you go yeah something good happens out of this this is gonna be a miracle like (laughs) how are they gonna get out of this situation oh they're not (laughs) Um, but it's definitely um the way it's shot and they were using cutting edge of technology at the time for to kind of execute excuse a pun of how they executed like the blast and how it affected everyone and how it you know killed everyone and um they had to stream things down or skim things down i think it was originally two hours and 20 four, minutes four hours wasn't it oh, oh yes four then it was two hours and 20 minutes and then the network made him cut it down to an hour and 20 or 30 minutes so they kept like cutting it out cutting it out cutting it's things not, out I'd like to see the i think i saw because it was it's on youtube so if anyone you know if you want to watch it for free it's on youtube Damn. um but it was the, uh, the longer version i watched it two hours and 20 minutes so i i was reading about it saying like they cut this scene out they cut this scene out and they didn't want to hire too many familiar actors because they didn't want it to be sensationalized like it's a hollywood film they wanted it to be very much like it's a real broadcasted televised type of event they said um, robards i mean you know yeah they know. did have quite a few people in there when you think about well it. i mean if you think about now when you when i was watching i was like wait i know that's the one that was in police academy and that's they the one that was in, like, now. so it could have been their claim to fame like oh i did this little independent you know abc broadcasted sh- movie you know and it, it made scared the famous. shit out of the united states <laughs> exactly well, <laughs> well i mean funnily enough i mean if you do look at the cast i mean joe beth williams would break out a year later with that's the true. Show, that's and then, true 
and then yeah. Poltergeist, of course. Right. And then Ju- Steve Gutenberg. I mean, before this, the only thing he did was that gay movie. Um, you can't stop the mu- can't stop the music of that Village People, and that was a yeah. huge flop. So I don't think anyone saw that. And then, yeah. of course, I've never in 1984, in Police Academy happens, and yeah. of course, you know, they picked him. Yeah. Yeah, Every time I think of Police Academy, I think of the Blue Oyster Bar. Don't ask me why. Bum, 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 <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, that's so good. Another then, interesting thing what is, was that, what was the tall a year after this, I mean, <laughs> I mean, a year after this, John Lithgow would be up for an Academy Award for playing a football transvestite in the world according to Garp. Oh yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about that stuff. So, yeah, yep. but before that, he just was doing like you know the odd De Palma films here and there, wasn't it? And, it's, and it, movie stars, unless you were like a huge starring role, I mean, they were, they're not like they are now, like, you know, right. yeah. people would be, so. But, I mean, um, the day after, I mean, I guess for the millennia out there, that's multiple millennial people called millennia, you know. I guess, I mean, but, um, you know, I guess, you know, if you give a little bit of history of what was going on in the time of, in the time of this, is in, up until 1964 and up um, in 1963, Kennedy and the nuclear um, crisis happened with Cuba. And basically it was a duck and cover era where duck and cover and nuclear war is going to happen. And then um, up until about 1979 to 1980, what happened was Europe was actually protesting against America because America was putting their nuclear weapon silos in their grounds, like in Europe and England and stuff like that. Right. And so by the time 1980... Yeah, there was a nuclear race. And by 1983 came around, there was a paranoia that all it would take was someone to hit the bomb. And the thing is, is um, another thing that was going on around this time period, if you look at some of the music, 99 Red Balloons by name yeah. was about nuclear yeah. war. Yeah. Um, Genesis, um, This is the World We Live In, yeah. basically about, um, you know, Ronald Reagan. The whole album. Yeah. And, you know, this is, you know, this is, this was a... Th- that anyone all all you had to do is just push the button and away everything went yeah um you know and of course you know it kind of took in a second seat today i mean but the thing is you know everyone still does have their nuclear warheads and no one's actually disarmed um and another thing is that the reason why we don't have the fear today of it because we now use nuclear energy so basically, they yeah. couldn't demonize nuclear war with the thought of like you demonize this, and you have to demonize nuclear energy. And basically, yeah. if everyone X-rays. still wants like, <laughs> well, yeah, and if everyone still wants their electricity, most of our electricity does come from nuclear nuclear factories. But of course, there are you know, if you look at what's happening, you know, Japan with their nuclear <laughs> nuclear energy meltdown, yeah. testing is still going on by France and, you know, the Indian Ocean, stuff like this. So it's still quite relevant. It's just has been kind of put on the back burner. Yeah. And I think nowadays is that I think we're looking more at, um, I guess at this time, I guess when you look at nuclear war, that, yeah, you can, you can hit each country with nuclear war and stuff like this and hope that, but I think nowadays we know that it does travel. Therefore, if you're in Germany and you're going to be nuking Australia, eventually that nuclear it's going to come blow your way. Yeah. Going to blow your way. Another thing is you can't use the land for a good 25 to 50 years. So why bomb something if you can't use it afterwards? Yeah. So, so now we do stuff, you know, we have stuff like germ warfare and we are also looking at, um, sound waves that can kill people from a distance using a sound wave. So basically you can eradicate a whole population just using a sound wave and still have use of the land later on. It's the world. One big fuzzy warm place. 
<laughs> well, you think of like Chernobyl too, and like that whole experience. Oh of God, what I remember Chernobyl. That was happened, and you kind of get a, a preview of like what would what that would be, right? And it's still one of those things where you I watched like the the movie, and I was like, God, that's just it's horrible. <laughs> You're like, there's nothing that can exist. It's like you just kind of wait until the the what's it called the rad what's it called rads the go rad, down yeah the rads go down but i mean it's still they still haven't gone down no They're still on site no. to live there yeah i mean i mean look at i mean i mean it makes great computer games though i mean it, you know yeah metro <laughs> and other computer games like that are makes good horror films too i was gonna say there was one horror film where they go because they want to just see and then that, yeah something they got those too. things living under the ground what was that called chernobyl diaries good. yeah the chernobyl diaries yeah it was yeah. good fun little movie it was fun. <laughs> but I think, um, I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting how, you know, nuclear, I mean, it's we still have them. The, the bombs are still there. And it's quite interesting how our attention is now shifted from yeah. this. Even though the threat is still kind of there today. All it takes still is there. We just kind stupid of world power just to sit there and have an off day and decide, whoa. Yeah, well, we I, feel a bit fr- I feel a bit frisky <laughs> with the button today. <laughs> well, it, it's also like your the logic, like what you said, you could do that, but then <clears throat> the intention is just to then eradicate. It's genocide, right? So you're eradicating a nation, so you don't have to deal with that nation. But then you really can't do anything with that land for hundreds of years, right? So, but the intentions of it, I get it. It's like if I guess you want to eradicate someone, there's that. But then as you were saying, biological warfare or any of these other type of people are trying to find other ways that if I'm going to take a nation out, I want to be able to at least build on that nation and like take the land and own the land. And, yeah. You know, I mean, if you're going to screw land. up that much real estate, it, yeah. it's really, it's mutually assured destruction. There is yeah. no winner, you yeah, know? No. So what's the point? And, and, you go, oh, sorry, and everyone, and everyone has, everyone has them. So basically if I, you know, if I set one off at you and you got one, you're going to set one off at me and then, your friends are going to set one off at me, and then my friends are going to start setting off at your friends, and it gets kind of, you know, it's like war yeah. games, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you try to do that now, like every every other nation in the world is going to get on you about it, so it's it's completely not worth it. They're going to get and on think, Facebook and call you out. And I think with this is obviously <laughs> it's less about the event of it happening versus what happens afterwards, and it's sort of it's re- it's self replicative, meaning fight or flight right so like when this went off and people were trying to survive it's like they're they're trying to just really maintain order so people aren't going to kill each other or take you know steal from each other or you know rob and so it's like this constant sort of this horrible event happens and now now it's like you survived and it's like well now people are going to come and raid your house or take your children or you're like it's you never know what's going to happen when it comes to the aftermath of an event like that you know well, when you think about where we were in 1983, like I think I was graduating high school in 1983. I mean, I, we didn't give a shit about any of that crap that was going on back then. We were just too busy having fun, partying through our senior year and all that <laughs> other stuff. But I mean, when you go back into the footage, like I, I, I looked up eyewitness news from New York City's channel. Um, I can't remember his channel seven. I believe it was. But they were covering this church called Riverside Church. And it was in New York. And 700 people gathered in the congregation to watch the film together because they were too intimidated to watch it by themselves. And I mean, it was almost like you're hearing people reviewing The Exorcist for the first time. People were really screwed up over this. It really messed people up. 
and they had schools and, and parent teacher conferences on how to, you know, explain this annihilation to the children. And, you know, no one, people, they either loved it or they hated it. And if you saw reviews from other people, they were saying, you know, this is all bullshit and all this other stuff. I wasted two hours of my life or whatever. And then you had the other people that it's like, well, you know, this is 1983. The Soviet bloc is still, you know, coming on strong to us. You got Reagan, who's not going to take any shit. So it's intimidating times. You got Margaret Thatcher. Look at all the players back then. You just didn't know. I mean, the Berlin Wall was still up then, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So you still have that as well. And they do mention, like, the breach of Germany and all, like, that. And so you kind of have that mindset. What if? What if this happened? And this is, like, one of those scenarios that – a fear scenario, right? And not that, like, again, what cracks me up is, like, when I was a kid, it was more about earthquakes as I was in California. Oh, yeah. So get under get under your desk. I'm like, what the hell is a desk going to do? It's like with a nuclear bomb. Get under your desk, go into like, I know it's like really, but it's that it's a way, it's something to keep you safe, or at least the attempt of keeping you safe, right? Shelter in place, shelter, yeah, shelter in place. I'm still thinking it was a bunch of BS that that home survived. That that oh, god, yeah, because I was like, you're burying the windows with dirt. What the hell is that going to seriously do? It's going to keep them now, it's going to keep the radioactivity out. Mm. it's gonna but i'm saying that the force of that wind would wipe out that house where it blew the house right off of it but i think they were 40 miles away i'm not a a astrophysicist or anything but i do think it's got i don't know because we're not talking about hiroshima bombs anymore we're talking about massive megaton bombs that are just going to obliterate everything that's what i mean it's like that whole town should have been obliterated and and again i guess they kind of pinpoint that it's like more like St. Louis, Missouri, which is, you know, however many miles miles away from the small town. So they can kind of justify that the city itself was gone, but then the the surrounding towns are what is like barely missed that blast radius, you know? I think what made it kind of a strong, scary film is that the characters were so relatable. This is Kansas, you know? Not much. I mean, another thing you have to remember is in 1979, there was a nuclear meltdown in America, in Pennsylvania, oh, yeah. Three Mile Three Island. Mile Island. Oh, yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, that was quite relevant. I mean, myself, as far as nuclear war is concerned, I mean, when I was four years old, my parents had to take me to a psychiatrist because I used to have like this recurring dream where a Bomb. nuclear war was coming and basically all my, and all, I would see all my friends and family's skin melting off. And it was like a recurring dream that would happen like every single night. And uh, I wonder what you watched back then. What was on back then? It was just the news. It was just news. There was no, there was no, you know, there's nothing like that. But at that time, it was mentioned in the news all the time. I mean, from from the time that was Walter Cronkite came on every night, and sometimes he would tell the parents to shoo the children out from the front, especially they were showing Vietnam. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, then you have that bomb too, or the the fire napalms like going and like burning people to death. So yeah, and the the little girl running down the street and her clothes are burning off her. That was and that was filmed live on news. So yeah. Um, But um, you know, I think it was all part of that. But nuclear. But I mean, nuclear. I mean. You know, nuclear disasters, nuclear bombs, nuclear war, I mean, was very prevalent. It was always there in our subconscious. That's true. Sort of That's yeah. true. I mean, and, and, and I guess Fear Alone was, uh, uh, aside from the two movies that, that, that we watched for this, there, there were a bunch of other movies about nuclear annihilation around that time. Was it Special Bulletin? Also a nuclear war movie? Yeah. And then I was just talking to Keith about it. It was Threads. 
It was uh, oh, it was friends, uh, yes. That movie was far more intimidating. I thought it had a lower budget, but I really that movie was more ball busting than the day after because they showed what things ten projected almost ten years out. You know, yeah. this woman had a baby. It was a bad time to get pregnant, but showing what happened. You know, I mean, it was really much more. It's like, oh fuck, there's just not going to be no good recovery, <laughs> no coming back after that's, that. That's a part that's the hardest, I think, to watch. It's the event that happens is one thing, but then it's like you want to have hope for these people, and it's like there's not everyone. Everyone knows you, know, you should go to a hospital, right? But then it's like they can't even treat people, and then you know, people are literally in the in the parking lot setting up shelter and just trying to like. You know, what, what do we do with the bodies? And like, where do we, it's just like, oh God. And you get to a point, you're like, fuck, do. what's the point? <laughs> like, what is the point? What do you do for radiation poisoning? There's really nothing, oh. is there? No, it's kind of, it's been like taking an overdose of paracetamol, basically. You right. Just, you just, Wait. you know, if unless they pump your stomach within two hours, you're just going to bleed to death until you basically. die. Right. And, I mean, also the other saddest part, uh, one of the sad parts about it is when the the nurse who is like close and she dies and she's younger than a doctor. Is that Joe and ben you're Williams? like, what the hell? Yeah. Which she just remember, she just is like, well, he's like, where is she? And you're like, oh, she died of, I forget what it was, some type of respiratory thing. But she and, didn't look sick. I mean, no, then you just that's like she just died. And we're like, wow. She kind of disappeared. You know, yeah. 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 Now, there has to be some criticism about this movie, which um, I'll start off. I have to sit there and say that I don't know what they were aiming for, but some of this acting was, mo- was the most atrocious acting I've oh, seen. Horrible. I mean, this is like really Jason bad Robert acting. Fine. Jason Robards held it together. He, he was fine, but the thing is, it's almost. It's almost, I mean, I guess if they do this today, I guess we probably, because now we know we can do documentary type movies quite well with actors and stuff like this. It's kind yeah. of a thing. We, you know, it's become now a thing. I think back then, this is kind of, I think it was kind of, they were kind of going for this experimental, let's make this feel like a documentary kind of feel. And it, and it just felt like everyone was like woodly acting their way through this. Doesn't matter yeah. who they were. I mean, Joe Beth Williams was kind of wooden. Um, you know, Amy uh, Madigan was a bit wooden. <laughs> yeah. kind of Amy Madigan, I mean, she just kind of seemed so misplaced. But I mean, at the when she's having that baby at the end, she's giving birth. I don't see any hope there. Everybody's got radiation poisoning. Well, that's what I was going to say. How? What would that child, what kind of world would that child come into anyway? So you're like... You know. I, would, I, I would hope that the baby would be born with special powers because of the radiation. <laughs> It could kill all. It could cure all of humanity. And the baby like heals everyone, and everyone's fine again. <laughs> I would. Mean, she named the baby Carrie, so it would end up growing up in Maine in a high school would get bullied. <laughs> we survived the nuclear fallout, you geek, and it's like. Who was it? The family. The girl was getting married. And the, the sister, the Dolberg Dol, or whatever. Yeah, that, yeah, that, 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 but the kids were. That was some of the worst acting, right there. Uh, well, the whole they thing with the whole be- running around with her <laughs> diaphragm, and she's like, and she's running around, and I was like, somebody else's friggin' diaphragm, anyway. I don't want of all things you're gonna get, you little pain in the ass. Like I was like, I know. It's like, why are you walking around with a diaphragm? Don't you have a frisbee? <laughs> the weirdest, the weirdest one. I know, right? The weirdest one was the soldier who gets away. The so black he's, guy? yeah, the black guy gets away, and then he meets a per- stranger on the road, and he befriends oh, yeah. him. And like, I was like, what is going on? And then, then like, 
he lost his mind and then he's like where's my shirt where's my shirt and then they're like gave oh, yeah, him the shirt. I and i was did. like this acting like this is so bad like this poor guy he probably thought i'm gonna get an emmy nomination no no you're not <laughs> <laughs> my my big criticism is i like i don't know how there was a four-hour version of this i mean i guess with commercials yeah. and stuff it'd be four hours it was two nights but- yeah. Holy it was supposed shit. to be a two night event. Like, that so. two nights. First, yeah. like half hour, is some of the most Painful. tedious garbage. Like, oh my god, do these? Like, I, I understand you have to show that these people are living their uh, are living normal lives. Yeah, you're humanizing, you but do they do yeah. nothing all yeah. the time? Yeah. Like, nothing <laughs> happens. Like, I, I I remember sitting there. And it doesn't it doesn't pass the phone test because I kept looking and being like, oh my god, it doesn't pass the phone test. Well, if you keep if you keep looking at your phone to see how long is how how much time yeah. has elapsed since uh, then it does, but you could have started like you could have eliminated that entire first half hour because none of that matters ever at yeah. any. I point. think they were setting up the family, the family tingly, warm, fuzzy yeah. feeling. Yeah. But I also think I also think that it, the focus in the beginning was on the doctor, and if that was the case, it should have followed that the he was a he was a narrator, right? In the in the sense. Yeah. And then it goes back to this family, which really has nothing to do with the town. Like if he was an important figure in the town, like he was the mayor or whatever, it would make sense. The fact that then, um, what's his name? Um, who's who's the wandered? Uh, Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, Steve Gutenberg's yeah. character. He just happens upon the family and then it's like, I'll take her to the hospital. And then it kind of brings... Like, that's where I was a little bit like, had the father been a figure in the community, then it would have made sense, right? How long was this period supposed to last? Because you had, they were talking about the radiation levels going down after such and such amount. I did the time and he, Steve Gutenberg happened to be with that family for a while because it gets some four, more than four o'clock shadow. Yeah, so, so I'm assuming months. It has to have been months that this has been going on. Or but happening. the animals are still out there. They're not rotted in any capacity yet. So they're all bloated, like a week into bloat, you know, rigor. So yeah, at least a few uh, weeks must have passed because at one point the uh, the daughter the the daughter in that family, the one who's supposed to get married, says something like, "I already forgot what he looks like. It's only been it's only been like I think she said like seven eight days. It's only been like seven eight days. Yeah, and I already forgot what he looks like. No, but she's I'm assuming she's guessing that because that had to be more than that because she was I mean she could have been in psychosis like she could have been yeah. in a it was psychotic before they dropped the bomb. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I guess we have to look at Amy Madigan's character's pregnancy. I guess that's how you have to. She was two weeks overdue. Yeah. So that's when she gave birth. But I mean, when 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 she found out she did they tell you when she found found out she was pregnant? No. So, but wasn't so. the character in the cellar with Steve Gutenberg or Klein? His last name was Klein. The character was she? Did she say she was pregnant? I kept trying to figure that out. No. The, you mean the one that was she? No. What she said was, "I'm so mad because I wore the diaphragm because she wanted. She was like, had I not worn it, I would have okay. been pregnant. I would have had something left of the guy I was going to marry. Basically. Okay. So, so, that, so yeah. I was confused. Oh, yeah, I, right. I've seen it a few times, but when she's in the church or what's left of the church, she's got blood on her wedding dress or whatever the white outfit what was that from was that i thought she had a i think they just ran, I, th- I i just thought they just ran out of sanitary napkins during oh, that too <laughs> no it could be that too right it could have been you know well that's what i was trying to figure out is she yeah. ragging it or did she have a miscarriage but, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, they, they didn't. They didn't have the foresight of the COVID virus. They didn't, weren't able to go out and buy tons and tons of toilet paper before. Going. I would also say too that you. It's really they. They. The one character had to be with the family long enough for them to trust him to take her to the hospital because right. who in your right mind would you trust a stranger? To but take a person point, that you love to a hospital, I'd be like, I don't even know who the hell you are. You're not taking my daughter anywhere. You like, you figure at this point, you're all fucked, yeah. basically. And there's well, really I mean, no hope. I do think that, I mean, whoever wrote, I mean, the, you know, the person who wrote the script, I do think that there, there's a lot of shoving square pegs into round holes, forcing so. relationships to go on. And I do think that maybe under some, you know, well, they under, cut a lot of I mean, it out. Know, well, a bit like, but even, I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I could have actually, I mean, what, what did they cut out? Did they cut a lot of the, the beginning out where we have like learning about these people? True, which basically, true. I mean, I, to be honest, I, that's they, they could have cut that down to five minutes. They could have got everyone in the town center come together and Thank sing you. the Who song from How the Grinch Stole Christmas and Hello, Dore. No, they could have opened it up. They could have actually opened it up in a church service because most people in this in the, in Missouri go to church on Sundays. They could have had a whole. They opened it up with the wedding, but then it was like. And it was weird because you're like, you don't know who, okay, these two just hooked up and they're late for going to their the own church. wedding, which no, are like, it was how, church rehearsal, hell? wasn't it? No, it was there. Oh no, it was a rehearsal. That's right. Because they were going to get married the next day. Yeah. But I was still like, okay, but then you really don't get a feel for everyone in the church. Now, had you been in the church during the rehearsal, you could have introduced all these characters, check, 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 check. And, and did that. Right. Right. And then right. come out of the church and now you follow this family home and then this happens. They just kind of, I think they cut a lot of it out and it's like, we want you to see this family. And then you see the woman with her kid in the, in the yard hanging laundry. And then you have this couple over here um, who the husband has been called to work to go to the missile silos. And then you have this. And so they just kind of, I think they had more time with each of the families, which they could have just very easily resolved with one scene in the beginning with all of them. You know, if they, they, right, right. if they did cut stuff out, they cut out the wrong stuff because exactly. there's there's yeah. literally nothing happening in that first half hour that that helps you like identify with the characters or moves the story forward. Like yeah. I watched it the other day and I remember thinking about 35 minutes in, there's a scene of Jason Robards in the hospital and uh, somebody comes up to him and says something about like a little snippet of what of what just happened this morning um, at, at the at the border. And I'm like, you could have literally started the movie right there, yeah. <laughs> right yeah. there at that point, because all the information that we already had was right there in that one sentence. That's true. The entire first half hour was completely. That, but yeah. part, of, part of it is also just keep keep this in mind. This is a television movie, which was supposed right. to be two movies, right? Two nights, first, yeah. first night, second night. From an advertising perspective, they ABC wanted to make it no commercials so cut imagine cutting the advertising for four hours that's a lot of money so the network was like this is great and all we are not cutting four hours of advertising that was a lot of money for us to cut from our budget so we'll give you an hour and a half right and they probably i don't know if they ultimately butchered it then because i mean that's why a lot of it probably doesn't make sense you guys know better than anybody when people edit shit and it's not edited right it's not going to make sense five minutes later you know, it, it makes I sense. Did. It just was like it, it was kind of haphazard. Yeah. You didn't. I, I, the only one I think I maybe had felt 
something for was a doctor and his wife because then yeah. he yeah. kind of returns. I mean, he goes back to look for her and the family. Get you know, out of my house. Pissed. He's like, get out of my house. I'm like, there's a <laughs> chimney. There's nothing left. There, but he's so like, you know, you're in he, my well, home. He was dying of radio. Um, Correct. So there was something sad there that I felt that everyone else, I kind of just forgot about. Like, I, I didn't feel sorry for the two sisters in the farmhouse at all. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I, I do think I do think they want they want. I mean, to be honest, the, what the film does right for me was once the bomb hits, sort of thing. And I thought the most effective for me is I always knew that there was a silo underneath farmland and stuff like right. this. I always knew that. Everywhere. And actually, and actually see that come out of it. Like you're basically they're just living their daily day and like plowing and the like, and, a lot and of people. These things come out, and I thought to myself, like I always kind of in my mind i always knew that they were there but i thought that was quite well done because like oh my god because could you imagine just like you're just looking outside your window and out they come yeah and i thought that was quite well done that yeah Yeah, but then but then that whole the i mean it's a kid's curiosity but little little blind tiny tim like that whole thing when that happens to him i was like and he's blind now and then it's well i I think it it was a little bit of it was remember when we we covered um the road it was that he was a he was a kid, the Papa kid. I was like, every time they showed this kid, I was like, just put him in the background somewhere. He can't see, leave, leave him there. Like clearly, that's the extent of his character. But he kept popping up and being like, "Where's my sister?" I was like, just put him somewhere. <laughs> I see that Kate's warm, fuzzy nature is rubbing off on you. <laughs> I just thought he was like an annoying little like, character. Like he was one of those where. He'd not, and I don't remember what happened to him. I really don't. I think he went back. They all him. died. I think because remember in the end, Steve Gutenberg's telling the two, he's going to bring him and his sister home, but you don't see them again. That's what and I the, don't remember. I don't remember. I remember it ends on what, what's his and name? The you father gets shot because yeah. he's, and he, I, and he right. wasn't probably going to do anything. He was going to leave those people alone, but that guy came around and shot him anyway. But he could have also taken, he could have shot the husband, taken his wife and did something to like, right? Because they're also surviving themselves. You don't know what they're eating, who they're eating. <laughs> like, you that know, was they a cow, eat. I think. But you never know. It's radioactive cow. But at this point, you're screwed. So radioactive yeah. cow is better than nothing else. Yeah. Oh, we'll see, you totally get into that, that, that aspect in the next movie, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one. That's true. Yeah. Another soul sucking movie. The yeah, thing, but the I, thing I about do this think. Movie, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Keith. Go ahead. No, I was going to sit there. I say that. I think the problem basically is, is that, as we know, unless you're Robert Altman, um, if you're going to deal with a large cast like this, you're going to have to know how to manage your storyline evenly. And I think basically there's a lot of good ideas, but a little bit of mishmash about how they're going to maneuver and orchestrate this large cast to make it, to make any of them stand out. And unfortunately one person stands out for me and that's Jason Robards, even though I know who all the yeah. actors are. I spent most of my time going, Oh my God, they look so bloody young. I can't believe it. I know. But as far yeah. as their characters go. I was really surprised because I didn't remember who all was in this until it's yeah. like, Oh wow, it's pretty star studded, but they weren't stars. So yeah. It's the white version of roots. <laughs> they also made such a big thing about the relationship <laughs> between the, the fiance and the daughter. Right. And I think even what an interesting thing would have been is he's over here trapped at the hospital and he can't get to them. And it would have been an interesting contrast to at least 
there's it, there's a bit of like star cross loving going on that he just disappears and i get it it, it was part of the fallout he got but... vaporized on his motorcycle i think he was trying to get back home uh, yeah. Do you remember everybody was getting vaporized? They showed the x-ray thing where people were Yeah. Getting- well, that's what was so quick because you didn't know who was getting killed. You're like the urgency, the importance. Like if you know or if you establish that sort of like, oh shit, that just that was a couple, the cute older couple, or that was it. You know, you knew the mommy and the two kids that were doing the laundry were vaporized, as I remember that. But yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's that's the scene though. That 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 scene. That's the when whenever anybody talks about uh the day after, that's the sequence they talk about is when the bomb goes off. Right. So yeah, yeah that was that was the uh that was impressive to me to 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 see. I mean for for 1983 the effects are what they are, but that it's still intense. That sequence yeah. where where uh, the bomb goes off is still very intense to this day. So that that's that's still yeah. really well done. And it, you go from also this this sense of normalcy, right? Of people waking up in their average days of going to work. You know, the the guy saying goodbye to his family and he's going to go off to do his job, right? Or you have the young couple who are getting ready to get married. Like all these senses of like normalcy, how and how quickly that just goes away, right? And unlike which we'll talk about in the next movie a longer contrast of change, right? And More things of an happening. It's, it's seconds, how quickly in seconds things can just change and be obliterated and it's now gone. And I, I would rather gone. personally to be vaporized when the bomb goes off because I don't think I want to live through all that hell. Yeah. I, I mean, who would? I mean, who would? That like, I don't think anyone would be like, I'm a survivor. I lost yeah. everything in my life. I have I don't, half a face. I don't think I'd no. like the haircut much. <laughs> I have this new arm growing out of my face. It's amazing. I survived. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not Mad Max at all. You know, it has potential, I guess. Well, this brings us to Testament, which is a 1983 drama film based on a three-page story titled The Last Testament by Carol Amon, who died in 1987, um, shortly after the film was released. It was directed by Lynn Littman and written by John Sacred Young. The film tells the story of how one small suburban town near the San Francisco Bay Area slowly falls apart after a nuclear war destroys outside civilization. Originally produced for the PBS series American Playhouse, it was given a theatrical release instead by Paramount Pictures, although PBS did subsequently air it a year later. The the cast would include Oscar nominee Jane Alexander, William Devane, Leon Amis, Lucas Haas, Roxana Vell, and a small role shortly before a rise in their stardom to um, Kevin Costner and Rebecca Dormornay. Um, Alexander was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress for Performance. We'll cut to the trailer of Testament. We'll be right back. It was a day like any other. Televisions glowed, radios blared. Breakfasts were being served. Children were playing. Everything was as it should be. When suddenly, it could never be that way again.
Hello, welcome back to the Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing Testament from 1983. So, Joe, what are your thoughts about this film? Um, I just watched it last night, and it was a uh, first time viewing for me. I'd never seen it. Um, <laughs> whereas with the other film, I I felt like I yeah you know, I felt kind of bored at times with with Testament. That never happened because just. Oh my God, it is so well written, so well, well produced, well acted. Um, I could see why Jane Alexander got her Oscar nomination for this because she was just phenomenal. Uh, Lucas Haas, who's got to be like five, six years old uh, when he did this, uh, it, it's heartbreaking, the, everything involving him. So I, out of the two, this, this one to me was an absolute standout. I couldn't like, it's yeah, well done. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an amazing little movie. Uh, absolutely horrifying. Is uh, okay. you know you guys were talking about like this this deals more okay. with the aftermath and um, it amazes me because there's no real like effects work or anything. It's it's very very straightforward and I um, I thought it's okay. fantastic. Perfect. I'll let her know right now. I mean, I have to agree. This is kind of um, what it what it did well and the thing is you have people you actually care about from the very very beginning to the very very end and it and it worked very very well i mean the thing is is like you have a you have a typical family that feels like a typical family and they feel like a natural family and then when the father goes off to work in the morning it there was a naturalness to everything that they were doing yeah, they were actually doing things in the other movie. <laughs> in the beginning, nobody's doing anything. In this one, they actually have lives and activities that they go to. So it actually does feel real. Um, I, I absolutely, absolutely love this movie. I, I can't believe it's. I, I've gone this long without seeing it. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I thought that um, there was more. I don't know. I guess it, it, it was humanized the characters a little more because, but- like you said, there's more substance to their the writing and the characters. And, you know, I was kind of bummed that William Devane did not stick around a little bit longer, but it does set up for what this poor mother has to go through. And there's nothing worse than burying your own children. So, you know, she really, I mean, she, she did a great job, but at the, you know, I almost, her character almost kind of went numb though. Didn't you think because of all the loss and everything that happened? Well, I think, I think what you get here is basically is you were, you're basically getting, a realistic view. I mean, I think the day after is a, a sensationalized right. view of what it is. But here is something that this is basically what reality is, the situation. And a day after you kind of watch it and you're kind of going, okay, fine. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, look, oh, I see some backs, you know, some backstage devastation done on the back lot. And here it just felt like, and the thing is, because there's no special effects or anything like that, you don't see any explosion or nothing. But you're actually just seeing basically that here's this community an hour and a half away from everything that's going on. And you just feel the slow degeneration of what's going on. And, you know, and, and what happens is one family and this one community. And I think that out of everything, I mean, this probably spoke to me more than I've ever seen before about exactly what it means to live through a crisis. I mean, I live in London at the moment, so therefore, if there was a nuclear war, I'd probably be gone within a second, so I wouldn't have right. to worry about it. But God forbid if I lived, you know, like an hour and a half away from this place. Right. You know, like, you know, back, back when I was growing up, like Sackett's Harbor or, 
you know, something like this. This is what you're going to have to face. Right. So it was, it was, it, yeah. I mean, she's left alone, you know, cause well, they did hold out hope that uh, William Devane was going to come back, but he didn't. And um, I knew there was something familiar about this music because James Horner did the music yeah. and it's just like his music is so, I don't know why I just said that, but AD, you know, ADHD kicking in, but there was something about his music. I can always tell when he's done a musical score for anything. He's, there's, he stands out that much, but she was, you know, this mother's trying to get through this catastrophe. There's really nobody to help her, but everybody's dying or leaving. Yeah. And Rebecca De Mornay and <laughs> um, and uh, Kevin Costner leave because after they lose their baby, so you don't even know what happens to them. But yeah. I was surprised to see them in here because I go, oh my god, look how young they. She eventually, by the way, she eventually gets her baby, even though it's temporarily <laughs> the hand that rocks the cradle. Um, I, I just think that it's in striking contrast to the other film. Is there's such a level of detail that you get to know a community, and that's rare for a film to be able to know, like this little older couple that's living down the street where the man is on the CB radio, who ends up becoming PM this radio operator. Yeah, he ends up becoming this big figure where everyone comes to his house and they all rally to try to figure things out, or the church, you know, or the the preacher is is trying to you know, help keep things together and everyone's losing their mind. You feel horrible for the cop who has been trying to maintain order and literally breaks down because he's like, I don't have anyone anymore. And it's like, you just, oh, you just want to like, you want to hug these characters. And that's what I think is, is amazing about the film because by the end, you just feel the weight of how much is lost. She's sewing the burial cloths. You know, sewing her children. Yeah, it's like, oh my god, that's it. The the daughter when she's like, what does it feel like to have to make love to or have sex with yeah. someone? And like that just it just is like, you know, what do you, you do? Because yeah. yeah. you knew where their minds were at. They knew that they weren't getting out of this alive, basically. Yeah. yeah. What it does, what also I think it does very well is it, it attacks the really small things that you wouldn't think of. The water situation that you can't drink out of the tap. No. You know, you have that yeah. situation. You have, you know, little little minute details that you don't really think about, which are part of your everyday life. But I mean, this film actually does focus on it, but it, it does it very, very because it does focus. It, it doesn't overly focus on it, but it's like it's just part of life, you know. And this There's, is. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, what, well, uh, what I was going to say is Vicky brought up earlier the, uh, the, the um, you know, the, the idea of the food kind of being contaminated. And you have that that breakfast scene where uh, I think the daughter brings up a wouldn't wouldn't the milk from the cows have radiation? And then, OK, well, yeah. let's use the powdered milk. But wait, wouldn't it get into the water? And at yeah. that point, what do you do? You're fucked no matter what. Do you start <laughs> really to serious. Yeah. She's like, just don't drink anything. <laughs> don't eat or drink anything. Is that where you're at at this point? Like you're completely yeah. fucked no matter what. Yeah. So yeah. You, the, you also just see the neighborhood and how quickly things start to change. So like, even like, I kind of went back just to be like, you know, once I finished the film, I was like, let me just go back to the beginning. And you're like, 
God, how sad. By the end of it, it's like all this trash is built up, these cars. At that point, there's people laying. Now you just don't bury people. People are laying on the streets. It's like, oh, you know. I would just be so upset if I was going to have a baby in that kind of world. Because that that would be the most disarming, upsetting thing that could happen. And you knew that that, when when Rebecca de Mornay's baby just stopped eating, it's just like, oh, man, here we go. You know, and I love that they didn't know the answers, right? And so people are frustrated, and you felt frustrated for them, but you also felt frustrated for the people who are the professionals, right? Like, well, but you know, that what, what I'm assuming he was like the chief of staff of a hospital, like, right. but what what do we do? What do you? And he he was like, I don't really know. <laughs> like, I've never had to deal with this before, so I don't know what to tell you, right? And then it so that was another interesting thing to kind of be like lost with them like what would you do like right like and you start to see how they have to recycle batteries or they have to swap food or you know they have to figure out different things of trying to get through this and and with sanity right wasn't there one bully he was trying to take the batteries yeah 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 and he took his bike. Remember, he ended up taking yeah, his bike. Right. And then that's when he started. I thought one of the mechanisms that I love about the film is her journaling and how they use it right. as a way of kind of keeping time without having to do a time ticker, which it sometimes can be very annoying because it's like Monday, you know, May, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's like she through her journal, it starts out very much like. I'm trying to get through this on my own. And then it's almost like she's having a conversation with her husband, which she doesn't know is dead, but she assumes he's dead. And then it's, it's her slowly breaking down and through a journal. And it's, it's just so heartbreaking to sit there and be like, you know, to dear diary today, it's over. I'm done. I'm like, it's over. I'm ending it. You know, it's like, you kind of, you feel that, you know, and you would suck being a mother. And you're losing all of your children except for one. And that right? little boy, what he, what was his name? He played in the, oh, he played uh, Scotty, the boy. Yeah. yeah oh my God. Him. He's cute as a button as it is, but God is like, don't kill him. I love his ears, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, well that scene, I'm like, you know, she goes to bathe him in the sink and then, oh, oh, oh no, he's shit in the sink. And then yeah. just it, it cuts to her just kind of holding him and just kind of singing to him. And then, Oh, frantically then, looking around the house to find his teddy bear so she could bury him. Yeah. Because that's where I was like, what is happening? Because then it cut to that scene. And then I was like, okay, she's lost her mind. Something really bad happened. So it's it's a great way of like not saying something happened. And then when you realize she comes out, right. you're like, oh God. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even the daughter was a little uh blunt because you knew she wasn't well, but she didn't think she was that bad. And then when you yeah, see just- her just you see her there sewing, and you're like, "What is she sewing?" And then you pants down. You're like, "Oh my god!" Like, yeah, <laughs> like she's like. There was so much omitted, but you knew what happened, and they yeah. did a real good job, which of is amazing writing. Omission, amazing yeah. writing. And I mean, just the scene where she she comes across the last message from her husband saying he's got to go up to San Francisco, and she's listening to it. Yeah, and then she realizes, I need the batteries for this thing for the flashlight. So she kisses it knowing she's never going to hear her husband's voice again yeah. Yeah. and takes the yeah. batteries for the flashlight. I'm glad, you brought, I, I'm glad you brought that scene up because yeah. that was one of those where it was like a hidden message, right? And it, she had to get the batteries and it, it was almost like, I think it also gave her a bit of sense of hope if it was like one of those things where I'm in a really shitty dark time. I can't remember what at what point that was, was if she had already lost her daughter and son. But I just remember maybe it was like, 
I can kind of keep going again. Cause it, like she heard her husband's voice, but she know, you know, it was like time. Okay. Time to put this aside. Let's, let's focus, keep focus. Right. And it, it gave her that boost to keep going. You know, it's really like an, both films are like anxiety attacks for me because you are in an impossible position. There's no out, you know, that's, that's what both movies got across and, and the mother, you know, being a mother myself, and, you know, you just watch it and it's like, I, I wouldn't know if I just load a pistol and do the whole family, then watch him die like that. Well, I mean, I mean, when she contemplates that and she goes in, I was like, I actually thought that was how the film was going to end. I, and, I thought it was going there too. And as heartbreaking as I was, I was kind of like, good for you, girl. Like, why, like you know, the especially the Ho- Hoshi, Roshi? Hiroshi. Roshi, he yeah. doesn't oh my know God. what the hell yes. he oh, has man. no idea what's going on right now the I'm son is like <laughs> like what the hell would you do with this poor kid if he's the last one can you imagine if like the mom dies then it's just the two of them and then the, the older son he's the last one like like could you again i just i my mind was like you don't well, want maybe to that is how it has to end, meaning that maybe that's it. He didn't right? even know his father died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, the kid just goes, Hey, you're coming to my house now. And he goes, Oh, coming to your house? Okay. Yeah. He did, well, he was, he, he didn't know what was going on, really. Yeah. He was and, just, and an the father clearly role. took care of him because he was surrounded by all these canned goods and stuff. So the father was like, I'm going to die, but you're going to have food. And probably told him, like, Just open this up. You know, if you get hungry, like, Oh, yeah. That was sad. I mean, another thing I quite like about this is that it does show if you're in an impossible situation that you should keep your humanity and your empathy at all times. Yes, I agree. Though though everything's devastated around you, that it's your job as being part of the human race that basically you need to have your compassion and everything there. Because the world, the even though all this devastation is happening to you, there's more than you at stake here. You have a community, you have, you know, people. And I, and I quite like that because they, even when communities breaking down, there is a sense that they can't do a lot for each other, but they will do what they can for each other. And, you know, normally, you know, and I have to say normally films of this, oh, basically it's a free for all. That's just basically they just all become nasty people and just go after each other and doesn't matter. And I like that this film decides that we're not going to do that. We're going to yeah. show it's almost like a lesson. Like if this does happen, okay, this, all this horrible stuff's going to happen. It's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to be horrible, but you still have a, you still have a duty yeah. to perform here it's, and, I, and there's I, I like that nicely. there was also there was a moment in the church when there was the the asshole who was losing his mind and like coming at each of them where the older woman stood up and she gave a life experience of when something happened to her and i don't know if this is a holocaust thing or if it was something she like let's be better than the past right and she brings up a moment where she said you know I survived this. We can survive this too. And she kind of sits back down and, and it's like he said, it was a, it's a mental check for everyone in that room. Like we're all going through this together. There's no one better or worse than, you know, we can be, we can do this together and try to get through this together. And so there is something sort of kind of surreal with the fact that as people are dying, everyone's burying them together, right? And everyone's getting together and burying the bodies or, you yeah. know, taking the bodies and burning the bodies and like, so there was a moment where, as sad as it was, like he said, it's not like, well, screw you all, I'm ready. Right like there was that one kid who did it, but 
everyone for the most part was trying to help in, in the situation, you know? Well, it's such a bad situation. I mean, if you knew each other, I can't imagine robbing somebody I care about or looting from them, you know, but you're going to have that, you know, I guess you just have to protect your community. I think, I think you're going to, I think you are going to have that, but I also think that if you are living in a community and I mean, I think, I think today's society, we're probably, we're probably, it's a bit different than what it was in that there. In that there in those days i mean in you know 1983 and before that you kind of knew who your neighbors were and you yeah. kind of did look after each other we did one thing i did find out during covid which is not even a disaster really um you know it's a you know for whatever it is that people were kind of you know in a That's situation that wasn't wasn't like hazards to your health like this kind of situation is but yeah people kind of i mean it's very rare that people were like checking on the neighbors and seeing the neighbors are most people don't even know yeah i don't even know who their neighbors last names are so COVID. sometimes not for the best either well it was also a bit of a fear of the unknown whereas everyone knew something really bad happened here and it affected everyone together whereas like this type of thing it's the unseen villain that People turn against their own families, I hate to say it. People are like, hey, I love you, but I ain't getting anywhere near you. Like, it's like, it's one of those things where right. it's like, you have to, and you use it as a level of protection. Um, the one part I would say in this entire film that I thought was really funny, and if there was anything funny in this scene, was when they go to the gas station to get gas, and Mike, the gas attendant, was like, hey, I got you and stuff. He's like, so how are you guys? No, all I kept <laughs> laughing in the scene was like, these people behind him were like, move it, buddy! <laughs> they're like honking, like, come on. And he's like, so, you know, when I met your dad and we wanted to go fit, he's like having a full-on conversation well, with them. Did he say <laughs> he was really mad at all of them, though? Because he says, yeah. I'll give you gas, but not yeah. some of these guys. Yeah, you know? but I thought that was a funny scene. Meanwhile, the world, like, there's a line down the block, people trying to get gas. He's like, hold your horses. I'm having a conversation here with some important people. Yeah, you want me to- <laughs> It's probably like that in North Carolina right now. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, it was also he said, you know, my 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 regular customers are the ones who cared about me. I'm giving them free gas. Yeah, so it's true. So that that it was so, some line of dialogue like that. So 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 yeah. So the I I think at the end of the day, most of humanity, I think I think everybody just wants, you know, I, I think everybody just wants to, to to fit in and be accepted. What's that? There's strength in numbers, wouldn't you think, though? But you yeah. bring everything you got to the table. But when you think about it and you're running out, it's like so vintage Walking Dead kind of stuff. Yeah. What's yours is mine. Yeah. What's mine is mine. You know, people get that, you know, I'm not sharing. I've got to survive. But it also reminds me of that childhood story called Stone Soup. About the starving Stone Soup, town. I know, yeah. I remember. And, yeah, we're, you know, basically this, these three soldiers come, you know, worn torn soldiers come to town and they go, you know, and they get all the villagers out about this stone soup. And basically it's what everyone just gives a little bit and they had enough food to sit there and feed everyone where everyone was starving to death. Yeah. Right. Right. Where if everyone pitched yeah. together, you know, that sometimes, you know, you know, you save a lot more cooking for a multitude than you do cooking for one. Yeah. So, yeah. I but, also like that the older woman too um, was, still wanted to teach the girl piano lessons and i love that moment where she just is like oh nope i just took a nap i'm getting up and and the boy goes to help her and she's like i got it like don't touch me (laughs) it's such that mentality like 
I'll ask for my, your help if I need it, but just let me be and let me do, you know, me and like go through and okay, we got to practice and sitting her down and like playing like that was like a really beautiful moment because it was like the she world is ending, but on, we don't have to though, remember. Yeah, she puts it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, well, it, it was interesting. They still had the school play even even yeah. though all this stuff went on. It's it's almost like they 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 kind of hoped that life would go. On. I can't tell if it was just well, we're fucked anyway, so we might as well entertain ourselves or if it was more, there's like that, like there's this like minute hope that like we're, we're all going to come out of this later. I, I don't yeah. know. They're also but thinking also about think- the kids' future, what that story was because if you look at the, when they're rehearsing the the actual play, there is sort of a metaphor within that too about the Pied Piper and being trusted and like and like yeah. banding together to help one another, right? And helping. Right. And so there was a message in that that the kids needed to hear. And I'm sure parents, kind of like with COVID, I need my kid to focus on something because they're driving me fucking insane, right? So yeah. they were like, a school play, the world is ended, but let's give them all something to hope for and play and but, you know, yeah. do. But I also think that with a, you know, like a school play is that the kids have put so much work into it. What do you do? Yeah. You just end it as well? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. you got to, and the thing is, is that humans, uh, the human race are very, very structured in orientation anyway. So as long as you can keep structure in people's lives and keep things as structured right. as possible, then what happens is that brain, your brain doesn't break down. And what happens is if you notice that this film does do show this is that as the structure starts breaking down in people's lives, people start, you, dementia starts rising. Yeah, and that, and that is true. And you found that a lot with um, people who were in lockdown for over a year, who've been yeah. shielding for a year, and because they lack structure, so um, let's just sit there and say they're not as mentally strong as they were before. With a lot yeah. of my patients, I'm seeing at the moment, or right. kind of like that at the moment. So yeah, so it's you know it's structure, and it's just, and I think it's also quite good that you know, they kind of do show that a little bit, you know, as society keeps breaking down and people's structure is going down and dementia starts rising and people, and I do think that if you don't have anything to focus on, you're just sitting around, it's a bit like, you know, you can have a, let's say that your knee is sore and you walk through life, go, oh, my knee is sore and you got, and you got nothing to preoccupy your mind, your knee is going to hurt even worse. Exactly. If, you can, if you can find a way to preoccupy your mind and get yourself doing something else, yeah. though your knee is still painful, it's not going to be as painful as sitting there just wallowing away. And you can say that with a lot of, you know, a bit like with most things in your life, if something happens and you keep going and you keep keeping yourself quite structured and any minute problems that you have in your life, you probably be able to sort out. But if you start taking any of those minute problems and do stop and just yeah constantly thinking about it over and over and over yeah you're gonna have serious problems with well, two so. and you can see who sort of has survived towards the end is the son and the mother and both of them were actively trying to do you know to save their family help the community there is something another which i didn't think about until just now the beginning where the father is trying to teach a son to climb the hill right don't be lazy. Come on. Like you can get, you can do it. You can get on the bike. And by the end, he's so used to it that there's not that struggle anymore. Like he's actually learned how to be stronger or learned how to climb the hill, learn how to ride a bike. He's doing it on his father's bike. Yeah. And so there's such a beautiful metaphor to where the father knows he's just, I don't want to do it. And he's like, you know, you'll love doing it. Just get on the bike, get up the hill, climb up the hill. It's a metaphor for today's youth too, where you're like, Put the phone down, 
turn the TV off, go outside, take a walk, do activities, be active, right? And it's like our parents, they had no room for that. They'd be like, they would shut the TV off just for power purposes, right? It's like, you're wasting power. Turn that damn TV off and then turn it (laughs) off and (laughs) go outside, get out and play, you know? There's uh, there's also, like Keith said, like uh, with the whole bike metaphor, like Keith said, uh, it, it gave him a reason now. Because yeah. now he's going up there to check on uh, on the old man. He's got to ride the bike up there, so it right. gave him it gave him that structure, it gave him that reason to to have to do it and to have to push through. So he's got more stuff on his mind now than man. I'm panting from going up this hill. And then also even reaching out after you know he he passes, you know him getting on the CV and learning and watching and learning what he was doing and how to do that is not an easy thing because you to reach out, you have that protocol of how to say, you know, breaker, breaker one and all that, you know? So I think it was kind of a powerful moment for him too. Like I'm going to keep trying, right? If I'm the last man standing, I have to have hope that someone else out there is going to respond to, to me. Right. Yeah. Well, the worst thing you can take away from a human being is their purpose. Yeah. Take away their purpose. You take Absolutely. away their spirit. Yeah. I mean, another thing is, um, you know, going through, you know, life sort of thing. It's quite, it's quite funny that things that you found hard or things that you hated when growing up. And then when people pass out of your life for whatever reasons, right. you know, through death or whatever like that. It's funny how the things that you hated whilst you're growing up, yeah. you now learn to love. And, yeah. and they'd be very, very special to you. You know, no matter how hard the traveling is, it's, they still hold something very, very special for you. I remember, grow, I mean, I grew up on a farm. I bloody hated farm work. I miss it now. Same. You know, yeah. sort of thing. You know, I, I, I kind of miss getting up at five o'clock and milking 400 cows every morning sort of thing. You know, we thought that was hard, right? And then we learned as we got older and you have other responsibilities and other, when you have to use your brain you know, 24 mm-hmm. seven for all these other things, for all these other people, there's simplicity and farming in that sense where you have a job, a job, a task, and it is grunts and brunts work, but you look back and you go, ah, as a kid, I was the same way. I was like, Oh, I had to go help my grandfather on the farm with my brothers. And it was like, I hate this. Like I'm, I'm also <laughs> not a country person I'm from California. We don't do this work. Right. And, that, and then as I got older and I think it was, it was like, when I was in my twenties, I went to go see them. It was just the sheer joy of sitting on a porch swing and, and oh, I bet. Just not doing anything. Right. And just sitting and being right. And just experiencing that, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Well, see, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. It's that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I miss the chickens the and the pigs and the cows and the sheep and the <laughs> beasts and everything like that. I miss all that actually now so but it is what it is so I think about you every time i drive by that that house on route three going out to the lake <laughs> my old farmhouse <laughs> yeah so, so. so that brings us to what we're going to do now is discuss both films and um which which you prefer which i think is gonna be anonymous but um yeah. your final thoughts starting with you vicky what are your final thoughts of testament and the day after i thought they were like soul sucking movies they were just depressing i found nothing uplifting <laughs> it was just mm. so sad and you know coming back well we, we were teenagers in the 80s so we knew this cold war thing we grew up with it really you know because it went 
clear on in after the Bay of Pigs, right up until whenever they decided to take down the Berlin Wall. But I mean, I think that not they ratings probably had something to do with it when it came to the day after. But a lot of you know, a lot of that was kind of on people's minds back then. And a lot of it was sensationalized. I mean, I, I did a little research on it. I go, is it going to be that bad if we nuke each other? It just depends, you know, if it's going to actually be that bad. But now knowing what we know now and everybody knows that, you know, destroying all the real estate and the planet, there's nobody that's going to win. It's just massive assured destruction. But the testament, I, a testament I liked the most, though, because it had more of a humanistic appeal, I guess is the word I want to use. Maybe it was thrown together better. It was written better, I think. I don't know what was going on with, uh, was it ABC put out the day after? That was ABC, yeah. Was it ABC? I think, well, you know, like there was a lot of it that probably shouldn't have been in there, but I think what, like Joe said, they cut out the wrong parts because it didn't really, you know, tidy up well in the end when it came to who's dying, why is this happening? But I mean, I thought it was a compelling movie. Like I said, Threads was compelling, probably more compelling than than the day after. The Brits did a good job on that in 1984, but Testament was just so sad. There's nothing worse than watching your children die. And I mean, and I'm sure that it really got to women more possibly than it got to men. But then, you know, you got the husband who disappears and nothing probably is upsetting to a man more than not being able to take care of his family. We don't know what happened to him. He got had a whole set of other problems, you know, that, but he was William Devane kind of left the, the field really, you know, early in this movie. But I think that do I think they made a difference? I think possibly. You know, I think that it made people more aware, but it also scared the shit out of people because we did live in the Cold War era. So, I mean, I think that had something to do with it a little bit, too. In reading the Wikipedia entry for uh, for the day after, it said that uh, both Reagan or and Gorbachev were shown the movies. Right. And it did actually influence them going, you know, maybe... Yeah, Maybe we shouldn't be so cavalier about the idea of blowing each other up because look, look at all this devastation. So if it, if that came out of it and both sides kind of looked at it and went, yeah, maybe let's not nuke each other. Then yeah. what the fuck? Great. Yeah, movies all I, around I, if that's the case. I think that, I think that, like I said, I think it probably made a difference, but you know, it made people more aware, Hey, you know, we got to get onto these people because they're going to destroy the planet. If everybody doesn't say, Hey, what the fuck, you know, but yeah. I thought I thought they were both great, but Testament is more more heartfelt than the others. Acting was better too. <laughs> what about yourself, John? Your thoughts? Um, definitely. Um, you know, I think the first movie, The Day After, was more of a blunt force. You knew you also had foreshadowing to know what was going to happen, so it wasn't like, oh wow, you know, there was so much talk about you know the missiles being there, checking the miss- missiles. The, you know, the, the things that are going on in other countries and the worry and the concern for all that. Um, unlike, you know, Testament where you, it was, it was something that happens and it's such a slow progression of it just yeah. continuing to slide and continuing to affect people. And I personally, you know, you could take two, you know, one, one way and one another way. The bluntness of the other one is something that instantly was transformed into hell. Right. Instantly, this is hell. How do we survive? How do we get through this now? And it's like, we don't even know when we can heal, how we can heal. We know that we have to just triage. And it was a bunch of triage, triage, triage. Right. 
And unlike, you know, Testament, where there was just, you got to know the community, you got to know all the characters, you got to see how they interact with each other, and you got to see both sides. You got people who are selfish, who, you know, when she tries to cut into the line, he's like, wow, lady, you know, that's, you can't do this. And you get to see the selfish side of it. And then, but then you get to see the morally sound where it's like, let's come together. We have to come together. There's no other choice in coming together. If we break down even more now, it's not going to make the situation better. It's only going to make it worse, you know? So I loved that aspect of it. And I loved the Testament movie, even though, you know, it both are very bleak, at least that one felt that something could go on. Life could go on because it ends where it's like, you know, the remembering of the the birthday and the father's birthday and everything yeah, and it, yeah. it, to me it was symbolic of at a time life was good it can be that again like let's not forget there were these good moments after you witnessed all of these horrible moments that have happened one after another after another after another there were there were good times with those same people right so that's my what about yourself joe um i i think like everyone else i think testament was was the better film <laughs> Um, Vicky touched on the idea of just as a parent and like having to, to, to watch what's happening to your kids. And I I think a big part of it is the helplessness of it, because this is something that happened and you can't do anything about it. You know, everyone's going to, everyone's got radiation poisoning and there isn't a damn thing you're going to be able to do about it. You can't do it. Your kid is over there crying and in pain and you can't do anything for them. And that's probably, yeah. That's probably the most horrific part of this, is that when you're, you know when you're dealing with with Scotty Hiroshi and all, especially you know the, the, the little ones like that, there's really nothing that, that, that you could do to help them at, at that point. And that, part, that, part of it is also we, starvation, right? Because she's eating the peanut butter, and you realize she's really not eating. Eating, yeah. She's yeah. she's having a spoonful of peanut butter, which is probably her meal for the entire day. But can you imagine your kid starving to death? Holy shit! Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. So uh, yeah, overall, I mean, I, I normally love Nicholas Meyer's movies. Also, um, he, he what did he do? Star Trek two, Star Trek four or six? I don't remember which ones. He's he's done a lot of great stuff. I out of all the films of his I've seen, I think this is probably uh, probably my least favorite. I, I just felt like I just felt like the day after was just kind of stretched. Like 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 Sean said, it's probably made to be a two night event, and they're going to get advertising for two nights. But yeah, like I just felt like there was way too much padding in that to to get it out to to two hours and six minutes or something was was the version I saw. Uh, but Testament, 90 minutes, it's, it's, it's a breeze. And at the beginning, in the other movie, like I said, everyone's just kind of doing Slow nothing. Burn. Slow burn. Whereas here, everyone's <clears throat> going about their lives and has their own lives. So I think by far, Testament's the better movie. Um, myself, I think um, the day after for me kind of does suffer a little bit of um, too much propaganda and too much knowing of the sensationalization of it it's one of those things that you kind of grew up with you knew it was this huge spectacle and everything like that and then kind of watching it and being let down a lot i also think that i I do think that the it's not a 
it's something that probably could have spent, I think they could have spent a bit more time on it. And I have to sit there and say that even though, okay, yeah, it's a TV movie or something to that effect, but at the same time, I mean, we did have other <coughs> things coming out that were a lot more grittier, things like Roots at the time and stuff like this that kind of yeah. were able to, that were pushing that envelope a little bit. And I don't think the envelope was pushed a bit too very far on this okay yeah it's a bit shocking and i had to them say that after a day after you're like oh that's horrible and you kind of just go on with your life testament on the other side basically shows human spirit and emotion and empathy and all this stuff all these emotions flowing through this you know 90 minute film and it's a film that long after it shuts down i mean i saw this film at the movie theaters and this film has stayed with me all these years wow and seeing it again now I now notice that that here, you know, watching it again this week, it stays with you. And mentioning it, you know, wells up the heart, and you feel it in the gut of your stomach. Everything in yeah. it, which is basically what a true film experience is, really something that stays with you, something that you'll never right. forget. And this film does it, but at the same time, it gives you a a more of a sociological message than I think the day after does. I mean, I mean, I'm great that the day after that Reagan and Gorbachev watched this film and it changed them. But to be honest, I think if they both watched Testament, I, they probably would have put everything away and there'd probably be no nuclear weapons today. Yeah, true. Because, true. Yeah. Somewhere in Russia, and, I'm pretty sure the mothers feel the same way about their children in all points. Yeah. I mean, I definitely cried more in Testament because yeah. just everything this poor mother went through and it was awful you know no one should ever go through that like but it but it also it also microscopes the things that we take for granted on an every single day level where the day after doesn't i mean they're not really worrying about food or water or meat and all the other stuff okay i know they're all worrying about themselves but it's kind of (laughs) like it's kind of like the day after was all about all i care about is myself i don't really care about anyone else and tessa was like we care about each other and how are we going to get through this? Yeah. And the how day, are we the day after, all, the yeah. day after it was like a movie about a bunch of eyes. It's basically like, you know, such a situation. And I love the way that Testament as communications break down with the other world, that is the, the biggest horror of Testament is the fear of not knowing anything or what's going on and the not knowing and people, yeah as you said, disappear from your life. They walk in and out of your life and you're never going to know. You know, even as this happened today, you're not going to, con- they're not going to be able to contact you on mobile. You're not going to reach out to the social media. You're not going to be able to get through them through Zoom. There's not going to be any internet, no electricity, nothing. Once someone walks away and you don't know what happened to them that day, that's it. You're never going to, you may never, ever know. Yeah. And it's, right. the fear of, it's the fear of the unknown and never knowing. Whatever or just happened. losing or losing track of time because one of her last journal entries is, is I don't even know what day it is anymore. Like I've just lost track of what, I mean, can you imagine just being like, I think it's May, it could be June, it could be September. I don't really know anymore. Like that's terrifying to not. Well, at that point, was that natural? Yeah, true. Well, right? I mean, yeah, what appointments are you going to have? Like, oh, I have a, you know, I have an appointment. Well, if this, all, I mean, this is, they're saying that this happens tomorrow. We're going to have a whole generation and can't, won't even be able to find their way across the street because they spent their whole life looking at Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, they kind about, of hi- think about driving a stick shift. <laughs> they kind of highlight that in the World War Z book, which my friend was telling me. Like I said, the movie was great, and he goes, "Yeah, but have they made it like based off the the, the novel?" 
it's almost the approach of why and what happens and why it escalates so fast is that the, the virus just rips through all of the security structure. So the military, then the police, and there's nothing left. And then everyone else, they have no tangible traits of defense. Right. All they know how to do is do emails or send texts. They don't know how to defend um, themselves. So quite literally, people just get wiped out. And that's sort of what happens. Like no one knows how to defend themselves because they've all lost that, 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 that need. That's true. Basic yeah. everyday structured yeah. knowledge and things like well, that. That's what I say. Even with like people with like guns, great. You have a gun that you can shoot something and shoot, but learn how to defend yourself. Easy like for God's sakes, like you got to know how to like, you know, a friend of mine got attacked. I said, I'm teaching you five. When I see you next time, I'm teaching you five things to defend yourself. You and I said all to all my friends, you are learning these steps because you can't rely on a a weapon or a thing like you have to use your body to as a way of defending yourself. Right. And so, you know, not a bad idea. Yep. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but nuclear bombs will radiate you. (laughs) However, it's always good to be prepared just in case you can avoid the fallout. As you stock up the shelter with canned goods, water, and essential rations needed to survive, one of the most important items you will need is entertainment. Make sure to head on over to our website at llpodcast.com to check out all of our social and podcast platforms, listen to all of our past episodes, Become a patron and sign up for our monthly newsletter to read our reviews of books to screen and everything in between. Acid, rain, or shine, we are always here to help the decades go by. For our next episode, the team continues their supernatural soap review of the Dark Shadow series. As always, we'd like to thank you for downloading, liking, and sharing the Literary License Podcast. Until next time, stay safe out there, folks. Bye! Dictation been forced in Afghanistan. Revolution in South Africa taking a stand. People in Eurasia on the brink of oppression. I hope it's going to be alright. I hope the music plays for.